and welcome back. The show has returned. Sig Daddy's Wrestling Show. I'm your host, Skyler Sig Daddy Sigmund. I apologize for the uh, about three-month-long hiatus. It was unplanned. Didn't mean to do that, but I'm happy to be back. And I've got a special guest. Actually, this might be a recurring guest here moving forward on the show. He might just become part of the show. It's uh, my friend, Jeremy. How are you doing, man? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me. All right. No problem, man. And coming up throughout this month, leading up to WrestleMania, I'll be doing a WrestleMania review every single week. So this week, we're taking a look back at WrestleMania 24. Next week, it'll be a look back at the first WrestleMania ever. WrestleMania 1 back on March 31st, I think 1985, if I'm correct. But uh, looking forward to that. But more importantly, looking forward to this WrestleMania 24 review. Jeremy, I know we we talk about wrestling all the time. Like a all lot. The time. All the time. And this was an era that we, this was an era where my fandom actually returned. Like this is the first WrestleMania since I came back as a fan. Uh, what, what was, what was this for you? I, I would agree. This was definitely, this WrestleMania definitely took place during my peak, uh, interest in wrestling. Um, I remember, uh, asking my dad, I was like, dad, can you buy me this pay-per-view? Cause this was before, of course, the network, this is before online. Um, so I couldn't, there was no way for me to watch it. I didn't even have a computer, so I couldn't even watch it unless my dad bought the pay-per-view and ultimately he didn't which really sucked. So I just had to wait until Monday Night Raw to watch the recap, see everything that happened during it. But this was definitely, definitely during the peak of my interest of WWE. Yeah, and it was, it was, it was, we'll get into it later, but this was a WrestleMania. This was an underrated WrestleMania. I don't think this one gets talked about enough. I I would agree. Um, Of course, there's the matches everyone always talks about, but even the ones that kind of, slid or hit on the radar pretty good pretty good um again yeah we'll talk about it later but i think some of the other ones the finley versus jbl was low-key pretty pretty nice yeah we'll get that we'll get into that here in just a second but yeah it was uh it took place in the citrus bowl in orlando florida wrestlemania 24 march 30th 2008 that was 13 years ago i was in sixth we were in sixth grade then to give uh, people perspective but we get the fly over to start the theme song for this one. Gosh, it's a fantastic theme, to be honest. Lighted up by Rev Theory. And then uh, also as another theme was Snow, uh, hey by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. But uh, and on John Legend did America the Beautiful. The tagline for this one was the biggest WrestleMania under the sun. The first outdoor WrestleMania since WrestleMania 9. And we get to start this thing kick-ass video package w I'll, I'll give even though wwe does lack in place at lack in places at times they always nail it with the video packages no matter what absolutely 100 percent. even and the best part about the video packages besides like their good editing um the good effects is this was a long time ago so i needed a refresher of what some of the storylines going into these matches were and uh 
besides the research I did, these video packages were great in helping remind me like, oh yeah, that's what's going on. That's what's why they're feuding. This happened during this feud. It was all the video packages were awesome for that. And also this is called this the tagline was the biggest WrestleMania under the sun. This was the first outdoor WrestleMania since WrestleMania nine. And then ever since we pulled this one out. Yeah. It, this is that, that buy rate I mentioned earlier, I think it was a million a million uh million was it five hundred and eighty thousand no a million fifty eight thousand buys, which was the fifth highest in WrestleMania history. Highest was at WrestleMania twenty eight, which was understandably a pretty darn good WrestleMania. <laughs> but we start out the show before the show is a pre mat pre-show battle royal where Kane wins and he's going he's gonna challenge for the ECW title later in the night, but we kick off things proper with Finlay Finley with a hornswoggle in his corner, taking on JBL in a Belfast brawl. And this, the storyline leading into this was Mr. McMahon was a, they they revealed back in, I think 2007, later 2007, that uh, hornswoggle was Vince McMahon's bastard son. And that was a, that was a big flop. I remember it was supposed to be Mr. Kennedy and something happened there that just kind of screwed things up. That was a, once I remember what the storyline going in was, was, wow, this is insane. This is, I cannot believe in back in that day, they were still trying to pull off storylines like that. And I do remember it was supposed to uh, Mr. Kennedy, which probably would have made the feud a little better. Um, but going with the whole illegitimate son angle, because it worked so good, it just, it just blew my mind. Like, wow, this is really how people are feuding now. It's, yeah. I just wasn't a fan of the storyline. Yeah, neither was I heading into it. So they show the video package. Mr. McMahon's supposed to fight his bastard son, Hornswoggle, inside a steel cage. <laughs> and then he gets in the cage, and Hornswoggle gets whipped from the whip by the belt by Vince. McMahon leaves the ring. Finlay's handcuffed to the ropes. JBL throws him into the cage, brutalizes him, hits him with the fallaway slam. McMahon wants an apology from JBL the following week and gets it, but he's sorry he didn't do it sooner. And... It, then JBL reveals, oh, it's a big bombshell that he Hornswoggle is not Vince McMahon's son. It's Vin, it's Finley's son. But the match, back into the match, they go about, they go eight minutes and 35 seconds. Honestly, they beat the living crap out of each other in this match. Trash can lids, everything, you name it. They, get, they hit each other with it in the freaking head. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, um, I was actually surprised to see way back when like some of the headshots and head chair shots that they were still allowing is like man that's insane compared to what now but that was definitely one of my positives out of this match absolute carnage and it was it was good like it almost made me forget about what the reason why they were wrestling in the first place but it was a a good carnage And, and and these guys were like two of the stiffest workers you could see like stiffest workers around because you know finley he didn't hold back JBL for sure didn't hold back. Oh, um, no. JBL, they both hit each other with trash cans. Finley at one time gets the shillelagh and hits, uh, knocks JBL out of the ring. And J- JBL during the match throws trash cans and stuff at Hornswoggle. And, uh, oh, yeah. that I saw that was <laughs> almost so uncalled for. He was literally just standing there watching. And JBL just out of nowhere just chucks as hard as he can. A trash can at the poor man. That was man. That definitely caught me by surprise. Yeah, the the kind of the turning point in the match was the big. Well, 
crescendo, I'll say. Finley goes for the suicide dive. JBL gets hits him with a trash can lid in the head. And then JBL throws the trash can lids outside the ring and hits Swoggle. Then a trash can to the head of Finley. JBL goes for the clothesline. Trash can to JBL by Finley. Counters. Then Finley counters. Finley with repeated trash can lid shots to the head. Hits the roll through Fireman's Carry. Then throws JBL through the table set up in the corner. That gets a near fall. And then Finley grabs the steps. JBL with a kendo stick knocks Finley down. He goes face first into the uh, trash can. Not trash can, but the steel steps. And then JBL hits the brutal clothesline for him from hell for the victory at eight minutes and 35 match, uh, 35 seconds. And yeah, this is just, a, I thought this is a really fun opener. I thought it was kind of an odd choice for the opener a little bit. I was like, this is kind of a weird choice. Well, with, especially with the match that follows it. I mm-hmm. just thought it was kind of weird. I don't know. I'm going to give, I, I'll, I'll give the match a, a B grade. Thought it was a really fun brawl, a fun opener. Uh, but I thought it was kind of odd booking choice here with JBL winning, but I think it ended up leading into a fatal four-way at uh, Backlash, if I remember correctly, with Triple H ended up winning the WWE title. But still, I thought it was kind of weird. It, it did give JBL some more heat, though, but I, yeah, I'll give it a B. What, do you, what say you? You gave it a B? I was actually pretty close. I don't know how you, compared to your rating system is, but I gave it a C+. Plus. Oh, that's not bad. Like, yeah, again, my positives, um, good carnage. Um, and you mentioned the runtime. I I didn't think it ran too long. Didn't feel it was too short. Um, I think it was just the right amount of carnage and the right amount of time. Um, I do agree. Well, actually, no, I disagree with uh, JBL winning. Um, you know, sometimes I like the bad guys winning, you know, because it's it can, be, it, it can be boring if the good guys always win. So yeah. it was kind of to see to see the bad guys win and it definitely would um it definitely helped prolong the story for a little bit because i also didn't remember what it led up to but overall c plus all right not bad after that we head backstage and we go to our special guest hostess kim kardashian weird oh, time man. and guess what the whatever the sh- keeping up with the kardashians is ending and this was probably during its like beginnings i think but uh, she's backstage explaining the upcoming Money in the Bank match. Mr. Kennedy interrupts, saying he's going to do it again and become the first person ever to win two Money in the Bank ladder matches. This is just a weird time, isn't it? It was. I thought it was like, Kim Kardashian, what? Um, but I had to think about when I first I saw her, I was like, why is she here? But then I had to think about what, why WrestleMania was so successful in the beginning. And if you go back to WrestleMania 1, that's what Vince did. He was able to get the public's attention to WrestleMania, to WWE, by incorporating all these celebrities, yeah. these pop culture figures. And it made sense, because I think you were right. Kim Kardashian was probably at her peak in fame, I'll say, during this. So business standpoint yeah it makes sense to have her and And i I had the same thought every time i saw john legend and snoop dogg in there because it makes sense yeah and we see celebrities involved in wrestling today all the time i'm looking i actually have the wrestlemania one uh poster i got for christmas right in front of me and it says on here special guests liberace billy martin and muhammad ali so Mm. yeah that's kind of what we that that's it's been incorporated ever since 
the first WrestleMania, like you said. So upcoming next, coming up next, the Money in the Bank ladder match. So I got to go over some notes after on this one. But it's in this match, it's WWE Tag Team Champion John Morrison, who is tagging with The Miz at the time. Crazy how things stay the same now. Right. They're back together. Uh, Carlito, he's in the match. He just was at the Royal Rumble here not too long ago. Shelton Benjamin, Raw Tag Team Champion currently. CL Punk. Yeah. Mr. Kennedy, uh, U.S. Champion, MVP, and Chris Jericho. So the one guy we're not including in this match right now, we're not mentioning, is Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy was a, uh, a scratch from this match, uh, due in major part to violating the wellness policy for the second time. He failed it later in, uh, in 2007, and he did it early on in 2008. Uh, WWE.com reported on, uh, March 11th, 2008, that Hardy had been suspended for 60 days due to his second violation of the substance abuse and drug p- testing policy. He then lost his uh, Intercontinental Championship, I think, that day to Chris Jericho, and uh, Hardy was then removed from the match. And then that changed. It changed. I think it changed this match immensely. It changed the whole dynamic because you look at Hardy coming into this, he's got what he's in the Royal rumble, not the Royal rumble, but he's on a freaking roll heading into coming towards WrestleMania. He win, he beats triple H to become the number one contender at Armageddon for the WWE championship. He has a really good match with Randy Orton in a losing effort at the Royal rumble for the WWE championship. He is the final two in the elimination chamber at no way out. He's the last one eliminated by Triple H. This mm-hmm. just seemed that this whole, this Jeff Hardy arc was setting up for him to win Money in the Bank at WrestleMania 24. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. You can't, looking back at everything you just said, you can't, you can't look at that and think, oh, wow, they're, they are not pushing him. Like, no, you see everything they did. You, it's almost, it was almost, if he was still in that match and with everything you just listed, it would be a given that he was going to win. Like I would have bet all the money I had at the time, even though I was in sixth grade, which would have probably been like $30. I would have bet all the money I had that Jeff Hardy was going to win that if he was still in it. Yeah. I I just thought the same thing. Cause I'm like, he was on such a freaking roll at that point, but then he violates the wellness policy, gets suspended for 60 days. That changes things entirely. He's actually not like, I think a couple days later, his house burns down. He was having a really bad time at that point. He was having a really uh, rough go of things at the time, but and ended up setting up for somebody else to have a big, uh, successful run. But this match had, was this match moved at 100 miles per hour. This Money oh, in the yeah. Bank ladder match, everything was moving super fast. I, I like, I've watched this many times before I owned the DVD prior to having the WWE network. But I was watching this at the beginning. I'm like, holy crap, they're moving super fast because I didn't realize the Morrison moonsault spot where he does the moonsault with the ladder was like two minutes into the freaking match. Neither did I. Like I said, it's an iconic moment. Anytime there's a video package for Money in the Bank or even WrestleMania or even WWE, you'll see that spot. Like him doing the moonsault with the ladder because it's a nice spot. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I did (laughs) I thought that was like halfway through the match, not in the beginning. Yeah, it was like literally two minutes in the match because early on, I think MVP was kind of holding the ring down and just kind of hitting people with the ladder and just knocking people out. But yeah, Morrison hits the moonsault off the ladder. At one point, we get a freaking 
walls up Jericho on the on the ladder. Morrison's one that has to take that spot from Jericho, which is horrible. Another point is uh, mm-hmm. Shelton Benjamin. He's on top. This has got to be the one of the worst bumps I've seen in a ladder match because Benjamin, he is hoping that he freaking hits this ladder, honestly, because he's at the top of the ladder. And I think it's Car- it's Carlito and Mr. Kennedy that are at the ends of the ladder and they tip it forward. Benjamin does a freaking somersault, goes through the ladder. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how did he not freaking die? Right. And my favorite part about seeing that spot, again, another one you see all the time, was it was just Carlito and Kennedy just looking down at Shell and Benjamin to make sure they didn't just kill one of their coworkers. Yeah, you see Carlito he, in the match. He has his, like, jaw on the floor. He's like, yeah, basically. like what just happened? Did he, is he dead? Somebody please check on him, please. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this is just a fast and furious match. Uh, Kennedy... I think had it at one point, if I remember correct, he had the, had the chance actually. Uh, yeah. I think he had a chance at one point. Actually it was Carlito. Never mind. Carlito was the one at the top of the ladder by himself at like later on in the match, but he decides to stand backwards of all things <laughs> to try to grab the briefcase. Uh, Kennedy pushes him off the ladder and uh, that's sitting into the corner. Nasty looking spot. Carlito also hit a freaking backstabber off the ladder during this match as well. Ugh, a rough looking spot as well. But uh, uh, Kennedy climbs, Punk knocks him off. It's Jericho and Punk left standing. Punk grabs a ladder, code breaker with the ladder by Jericho. Gosh, it's it, 13 years ago, Jericho's killing it. Now he's still killing it. Oh, yeah. It's unbelievable. But we have Jericho at the top, grabbing at the briefcase. He sees Punk, tries to kick him off, yelling at him to stay down. Punk fires back with kicks and punches. Jericho swings the briefcase. Then Jericho hits Punk in the face with it, knocks him down a few pegs. But then Punk, this is, I love the finish of this match, honestly. Punk grabs the legs of Jericho, grabs the leg of Jericho, pulls it between the rungs and hangs him in the tree of woe, which gives Punk the opening to uh, grab the briefcase and win at 13 minutes and 55 seconds. I, I, I really enjoyed this Money in the Bank ladder match. It's not, I don't think it's talked about that much because they're, well, honestly, we've seen 3,000 Money in the Bank ladder matches since uh, it, it's uh, iteration uh, first, uh, well, since the first time it happened at WrestleMania 21 in 2005. But I thought this was a pretty solid Money in the Bank ladder match, honestly. What, are, what do you say? I would agree. I would agree. It was definitely, like I said, fast-paced. Um, everyone really gave it their all. There were a few spots where I think they kind of took too long to set up some of the spots. Mm-hmm. Um, one that jumps out to me was Jericho stuck a ladder in a ladder, so it was, like, standing upright. And then Morrison, you know, jumped up to try to climb it. Like, I couldn't help but notice that Jericho and I think maybe Carlito were there and you could tell they were also kind of just trying to hold it in place. Mm-hmm. Like if it was just maybe a little faster, I, it wouldn't have caught my eye, but I just, that was one thing I kind of noticed. And honestly, in this match, I thought Morrison was the one that stole the show here. I, I thought he was the star of the match. I don't know what, I don't know what, what do you think? I'd say either Morrison or Shelton Benjamin. Well, Shelton Benjamin always steals the show in the latter matches. He's always, yeah. he's always been oh. good in those matches, but. Yeah, it, it could have been. So we look back. Punk wins it. Punk. We. I don't think Punk would have ever gotten his uh, big run 
if Hardy would have been taken out of the match, if Hardy wouldn't have been taken out of the match, who knows oh, what history right. looks yeah. like. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think what could have been. Like, uh, I mean, who's like we don't know for sure if he wouldn't have still gotten over as much as he did with without this, but because of this, he got shot straight to the moon because after he won that money in the bank. And then he ends up becoming the first two-time winner, which is kind of funny. Um, I'm going to give this match a B plus. What are you going to give it, J.O.? I actually gave it a B. Still, it was pretty solid other than that. We're going to look back at the Meltzer star ratings at the end of this, and uh, we'll talk about it. We'll kind of see if it's agreeable, if it if we agree with it or not. Meltzer is it's he's a very controversial figure in the wrestling in the wrestling uh, universe it's uh it's very subjective his star ratings are very subjective but we get i give it a b plus jeremy jo he's gonna give it a b and then we cut to the three competitors in the back for the wwe championship triple threat then we get the hall of fame class introduced and the first one is the uh rest uh the legendary uh, wrestling personality, actually wrestling commentator, Gordon Soley, Eddie Graham, uh, Florida Championship wrestling promoter and booker, Jack and Jerry Briscoe, May Young, Soul Man, Rocky Johnson, High Chief Peter Maivia. And uh, so what, what, what I do remember of about the Hall of Fame ceremony that year, that was the year The Rock took a shot at uh, John Cena, which kind of planted the seeds for later on. He took a shot at his movie, The Marine. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it's probably an easy shot. I've seen, I've seen the movie. It's not really Oscar. It's not, it's not going to win any Oscars when it first came out. I was remember thinking that. But you look at some of the Rock's earlier movies. He's in the Tooth Fairy, so we gotta, fair point. We got to look fair at point. that too. But uh, during this uh, Hall of Fame, kind of, we see everybody on the stage. We see Charlotte out there, which we, which is crazy to think that this is yes. a future. That it's like, oh, she's gonna be a WWE. She's gonna be one of the biggest stars in women's wrestling history. I thought the exact same thing when uh, camera panned over to her. I had a pause. I was like, wait a minute, is that Charlotte? Like, she looks so different than she does now. But again, that was years, years ago. But it was it's a crazy thing that that girl sitting there would be one of the best women wrestlers of today, maybe of all time. Yeah, and then we get Todd Grisham backstage. Remember Todd Grisham? <laughs> Todd Grisham, of all people. And we get a Snoop Dogg with Snoop Dogg. He's the master of ceremonies. Uh, he's talking about how he's enjoying his time at Mania. Then he found found a person that he has a lot in common with. It's it's Festus. If you remember him, <laughs> he's kind of the hillbilly kind of. I do remember Festus, yep. He's always in a lull, but it's, it's a Luke Gallows, which is crazy to think what his character transformation went from 2008 to now. Uh, mm -hmm. But he Santino comes in and interrupts him. Calls him brain damage. <laughs> tells him if he doesn't, uh, tells Snoop not to pull off any uh, funny business during the Playboy match later on. Then Snoop gets out a ring bell, rings it, and then if you remember right, Festus, if that if that ring bell goes off, Festus gets in a rage, and then uh, tr he ends up chasing Santino. And then Grisham asks how he got a bell, and then told him he knows a friend, and it's uh, Mick Fizzle shows up, Mick Foley. <laughs> And then we get a Mr. Sock Mizzle. <laughs> you know, I thought this is a really fun, uh, not a, that is not offensive at all. Uh, moment backstage. I thought it was pretty, pretty funny. Oh, it, I, yeah. I thought it was pretty funny too. Like I do remember Festus and when 
uh, Snoop was talking and he re was reaching behind the pillows, I knew immediately what he was going to go for because I do remember Festus and it was always the bell that he wouldn't do anything until the bell went off. So it was nice to see that again to remember that. And then we uh, get the SmackDown uh, versus Raw battle for brand supremacy. I wish they would bring this match back, honestly. I I thought it was a nice little thing when they did, well, when they had the SmackDown versus Raw video games. But uh, right. we, we get Regal for the GM the GM of Raw and then San, uh, SmackDown assistant GM at the time, Teddy Long. And the match, it's Batista of SmackDown taking on Umaga of Raw. And I always love the way William Regal announces Umaga's name. Umanga! <laughs> I don't think anyone really ever wanted to tell him that he was kind of pronouncing it wrong. So they just rolled with it. But it was his English uh, accent. So that really <laughs> got in the way of it. But I always found it freaking hilarious. I love William Regal doesn't get enough respect and enough love, honestly. Mm -hmm. and, then we get, and then we get uh, the match. It's not really all that great. It goes about seven minutes or so. Uh, Batista comes out dominating. Then Umaga gets in control after, I think it was a spin kick or something, I think. Yeah, it was a spinning heel kick or whatever. He, leaping spinning heel kick. He gets control. Umaga controls the match for about five minutes, almost the whole, whole five or six minutes of the match before uh, Batista... Uh, before Batista moves on a splash attempt by Umaga in the corner... Umaga hits his head on the post. Batista hits the spine buster. Batista fires up. Batista then goes for the Batista bomb. And this is a scary looking Batista bomb spot, honestly, because Umaga's momentum coming up when, when I think Umaga pushed off Batista's legs, his old, his momentum came flying up because he, well, it's just how big Umaga is. Oh yeah. That's a lot of man to try to get up into a Batista bomb. It, it, but Batista does recover barely uh, makes the makes hits the Batista bomb falling backwards and uh, that's enough for the three count and the win at seven minutes and six seconds. This match was not honestly, I thought they could have done a lot better. I would agree. I saw the match. It was good. You know, Batista and Umaga are always uh, good at in-ring performers. Nothing too special about it. Like, I wouldn't have been too upset if they decided to cut it out of the card, but it was all right. It just got Batista and Umaga on the card. Batista's one of the biggest was one of the biggest stars at the time there, but yeah, Umaga criminally underrated. I just th I didn't think this was all that great. I thought they did some nice uh, sight. They had some nice psychology there with the lower back work, um, mm -hmm. but it was like literally it was just okay. Umaga gets heat for five minutes, and then Batista hits two moves and wins. It was that was pretty much the match. Uh, right, and I also felt like this. Some of it was cut out because we had the next match. Actually, this I felt like some of it got cut out due to this match, due to the next, to the due to the uh, Ric Flair match coming up later on. I think some of it got cut out. Honestly, I could see that. I mean, if you had asked me which one I'd have to change between Shawn Michaels versus Ric Flair or Batista versus Umaga. I'd probably have to go with Batista versus Umaga. Yeah, of course. So, uh, okay, I'm going to give this match a C. What say you, J.O.? Uh, B minus. B minus? You're going to give it a B minus? I was, I was, I, I was on a, a point of looking at C plus range. I just thought they didn't have enough time, honestly. And then after that, 
we had JR and King discussing the uh, no DQ, uh, no count out. Must be a winter match where uh, it's Floyd Mayweather taking on Big Show later in the night. We get the tail of the tape, which the size differential is absolutely enormous in that. I'm not going to go over the size because if you know anything about Floyd Mayweather, he is super tiny. And if you know anything about Big Show, he's gigantic. Well said. And, I was uh, say Mayweather is probably about the size as I am, so... Yeah, no need to talk about that. And, what, and what's your thought? I, I just kind of want to go off topic here for a second. What's your thoughts on uh, Paul White to AEW? I think if he still has some left in him, um, I don't know what capacity he's going to be with in AEW. He's going to be in a commentary um, uh, on their new uh, show, Dark Elevation. He's going to be doing some color commentary, and I think he's also going to be doing some in-ring work too. Some uh, He's going to wrestle a little bit. I'd say if – I mean – I, I bet there's still a lot of passion that Paul White has for it. So I'd say, why not? Why not keep going with it? Yeah. One thing I will say, though, is I did see his shirt, the No More BS, and I think that is genius. That was great, I love that. That was great marketing on their part. That is amazing. I saw that. I was like, that's amazing. It has double that's meanings. Perfect. It has double meanings. Yes. No more bull you-know-what. And no more big show, which I thought like, yeah, it took me a second. It took me a second to wrap my head around it. I'm like, wait a minute. That's freaking awesome. (laughs) It's amazing. It was amazing. I saw the videos and uh, the shirts like that is that's amazing. But yeah, I think it, I think ultimately it's a good move for him. And it Um, kind of brings back home to TNT. Mm -hmm. Cause that's where he got to start was on TNT with nitro. So yeah. After that, I'm excited to hear me too. I, I am as well. I think he's going to be a good addition to the uh, the company. He's got a lot of experience, a ton of experience, and they added a Christian Cage as well, which I thought that was a good get. People get a little bit disappointed about that. That going off on a little tangent here, but people get a little offended about Christian Cage being the big reveal for AEW. But people got their expectations way too high. You think if you're thinking it's Lesnar or Punk. You're out of your freaking mind anyway. This is oh, a huge I, I'm, with you. I'm with you there 100%. Like, it's fun to speculate and to think, but you have to, you know, re- stay in the realm of possibility. Like, for not for a single segment, I think it was going to be Lesnar. Uh, I probably thought Punk had a better chance than Lesnar, but I definitely didn't think it was going to be CM Punk. And, yeah, I thought Christian, he's going to be, Christian is underrated as all can be. He is the probably one of the most underrated guys. He doesn't get talked about near enough. He doesn't get the respect Ed, Ed gets because he's kind of oh he's kind of like the Matt Hardy to Jeff Hardy in a way. That's the perfect way to put that. That is the perfect way to put that. And and honestly, I think Christian's a better worker than Matt is, of course. But it's just yeah, it's, it's, he's kind of the guy in the background. But Christian, he is so good at he can do everything, <laughs> literally do everything. But uh, yeah, he kind of just hides an edge of shadow. But I think he's gonna—they're gonna—they're teasing a Christian Omega match here soon. Christian Cage, Kenny Omega match. So I, I'm all for it. I'm excited for it. Happy Christian got cleared because I hate when wrestlers get their careers ended uh, not on their own terms. Oh yeah, there's no no worse feeling than knowing you still got some more left in you, but you just can't, or at least they won't let you. But AEWs have utilized their legends pretty well so far, including Sting. But that's a topic for another time. We'll get into that some other time. But after the 
Batista Umaga match. We get Chavo Guerrero defending the ECW World Championship against Kane. And uh, Joey Styles and Taz are the commentators for this match. I like this commentary combo. Uh, we get uh, Chavo, who has a 67-day reign up until this point. And then we get the footage showing Kane winning a pre-show battle royal to qualify for this match. Uh, Armando Estrada is the ECW GM doing the ring announcing. We get Kane's fire going off. Chavo's in the ring already. Uh, Chavo's like, oh, he thought Kane was going to come through the entrance ramp. No, Kane comes from underneath the ring, goes into the ring. And Chavo's kind of shocked when Kane shows up. The bell rings. He runs right into a choke slam. And Kane's your new ECW champion in about eight seconds. And I'm not going to give this match a grade. I just <laughs> think it was kind of a waste of time in all honesty if they were going to do this. I understand why they did this with Kane because honestly – Chavo's not going to believably, believably beat Kane. I mean, yeah, but if you didn't want it to be, if you didn't think Chavo had a chance of beating Kane, why put, make it Kane? Like, at least maybe they could have at least booked it differently. Because you talked about you weren't going to give it a grade, so I guess I could give my my grade. My, I gave it an F because. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would have gave it an F too. I'm just, I just didn't grade it because I'm like, it's 11 seconds long. <laughs> right. It, you know, for a championship match, it's just you wasted time, and it's the ECW belt. You got to think about some of the people who used to hold that belt. And yeah, I was not a fan. And not that fan. that that ECW uh, relaunch was a fail from the start because it killed everything that was unique about ECW back in the day. It really did. And it just turned into, honestly, by the end of it, it just turned into what NXT is today. Yeah, I'd say just worse. Yeah, it was not good. It was not good. And then yeah. I remember the one thing I was I, I took note of in this match was uh not that the not anything about the match really, other than the choke slam and the two shorts That's giving really a grade. Yeah, but the that Kane's theme that time, slow chemical. By finger eleven, that's a freaking that's that's an underrated theme. That is a good theme, yeah. I I hated when they went to that Demon King Kane theme. I'm like, you gotta keep it with Slow Chemical because that's the better, much better theme, honestly. Yeah, I would agree. Out of the two, he's had the two that I remember the most. Definitely, definitely the one he used. Mm-hmm. Um. We're backstage, and well, not backstage, but it's a, a commercial that plays. Uh, it's Carlito with Maria talking about Santino and how she could do better. Then Carlito gets attacked by a seagull. <laughs> Carlito freaking at the end of this, uh, at the end of this dang commercial, he he mounts the bird and just pounds it to death. <laughs> and then Carlito says, "I can make your dreams come true." And then the bird takes the proverbial dump on him. I, I like that they did these commercials back then. They don't really do those now. Yeah, I don't think they do either. It's been a while since they've just poked fun at either themselves or just let uh, the lighter side of their uh, superstar show. But yeah, it was a nice little, I got a nice little chuckle out of it. And then we get Raven Simone. Uh, she's in the ring talking about how excited she was to about making, talking about Make-A-Wish, uh, the biggest fulfillment of all time at the time. 50 kids from 50 states. You love to see that. And uh, Raven Simone, 
Raven Simone at the time is like, oh, that was that's so Raven at the time. I think still what I think that was still going on at that point, if I remember correct. It was an all right show. I never really got into it. Oh, really? You liked it? I did. I was a big fan. Like I said, it was, this was a blast from the past. I did not remember she made an appearance, so it was a nice singer. Um, it's just, every time I see something like this, it just shows how a lot of these matches, a lot, a lot of these pay-per-views are just products of their time, having Kim Kardashian, Snoop Dogg, Raven Simone, mm-hmm. um, people at their peaks in their careers, like showing up. But it was, it was, it was nice to see her. Yeah. And following that, we get the big match, I think. The biggest match of the night, the best match of the night. It's Ric Flair taking on HBK in a career-threatening match. So the lead-up to this one is HBK announcing Flair as the first inductee in the WWE Hall of Fame class of 2008. The song Leave the Memories Alone plays in the background with the Flair highlight package. It'll make you tear up every time. (laughs) But Flair in that video says he'll never retire. Vince says that he can't lose. This was announced back on the November 26th Raw. Uh, Flair, yeah, he has to win every match. Otherwise, he will retire. But he, Flair at one point says one thing that only one thing can make Ric Flair's career even bigger would be to wrestle the man whose name is synonymous with WrestleMania. And that's Shawn Michaels. And at first, Shawn's reluctant at this. And then Flair says if he can't compete with the best, he doesn't want to keep going. And then Sean says he'll give him everything he needs. But then we get the uh, the old yeller line. We get the old yeller line. And he talks about when it was time, they had to take him to the back and finish him. Take him to the woodshed and put him out of his misery. And Flair, he absolutely loses it here. He gets angry, slapping HBK in the face saying, you got old yeller. Boom, slap, slap. <laughs> It is so Flair is like super passionate at this. And then that's kind of the end of the, the video almost. No, there's like a few more seconds in the video, then it closes out. And then we get Mike Adamly backstage with Ric Flair and Adamly asks him the question, What's your game plan? And Flair just gives one of his one liners to be the man. <laughs> Couldn't have put it better. Oh, but, yeah. And it's crazy to think. We're watching this match back. It's 2008. Flair is 59 years old at this point. 59. 59. And he's still out there doing his thing. Dude, killed it. Honestly, they start in the match early on. They're in the they end up fighting the corner at one point. They do some mat wrestling, fight in the corner. And there's kind of just shoving match, kind of shoving each other in the chest. And HBK gives Flair one of the biggest slaps I've ever seen in my life, which busts Ric Flair's uh, mouth open during this. But this match is everything you possibly could want in a wrestling match. It has the drama, it has everything you possibly want. But at one point, HBK goes for the crossbody off the top rope, and he does that. Then the then uh, Flair throws him off like he would usually get thrown off. Then Flair actually hits the crossbody, which he never, ever hit when he went up to the top rope. It was, that was kind of cool to see at that point, honestly. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, because every time I was watching this, I had to look it up. Like, how old was Ric Flair during this? And when I saw it, I was like, man, he is giving his all for where he is at his age. It was insane to see some of the moves he was still trying to do. 
freaking That's hit a doing. Yeah. And yeah, like you mentioned, the crossbody, like it was crazy to think about. Because he's went for that spot nearly a thousand times and he never hits that. And uh, but then we get at one point, the big turning point of this match, one of the big turning points. So HBK knocks Flair out of the ring with a base, then he hits a baseball slide drop kick. He goes for the springboard moonsault. Flair freaking moves. And HBK literally goes rib first into the announce table. And the announce table doesn't break initially. And this just looked awful. Like, I, I don't know how HBK was bre- like even breathing during this match because he ate everything on that announce table with his ribs. That was a rough bump. That definitely was a rough bump. I, I don't even know how he finished the match. So honestly, I've been like, all right, I'm out because I can't even breathe during this but he kills it um but they go back in the ring at one point hbk i'm I'm going in a little more depth on this match because it was such an epic match in all honesty but uh hbk goes inside the ring he hits the elbow drop um then he goes for the sweet chin music but he makes the big mistake of hesitating and then he he, he hesitated and flair took him down and locked in the figure four leg lock flair gets this on multiple times uh, throughout the match like i think he got it at one point and then but but hbk later on would lock in a figure four on him and uh flair would also hit all of his signature stuff in this match when uh flair uh not flair but hbk picked him up from behind one time flair kicks him in the nuts as he's grabbing the referee he gets the thumb of the eye uh hbk it's a uh, get, HBK though does get a inverted figure four at one point. I didn't really like that submission in all honesty. I think he should have stuck with the sharpshooter because I think that looked a lot better than that inverted figure four. Oh, the sharpshooter definitely looks a lot better. But I uh, know they still Brett and him were not on very good terms at that point still. But eventually, after the thumb to the eye by uh, Ric Flair, they get a roll up for a two count. They trade chops on their knees. They get to their feet eventually. HBK hits the sweet chin music for the second time out of nowhere. HBK slides his way towards the corner, goes to tune up the band, decides against it. And then HBK, he's very emotional. He's very distraught at this point. Practically crying, but flares up. Flares up. He's got his fist up and he's crying. Then we get the infamous, sorry. I'm sorry. I love you, Line. And uh, it gets you every time. Gets you every time. And then HBK follows it up with the third Sweet Chin music. I forgot to mention the first Sweet Chin music, but everyone knows there was like three Sweet Chin musics in this match. But he hits the third Sweet Chin music, and that and that ends it at 20 minutes and 23 seconds. And we'll get into this later with Dave Meltzer's star rating. I don't think this match gets enough love because I – well, I, yeah, it just doesn't get enough love. Everything in this match was great. You get the storytelling. You get the selling by HBK. HBK sells stuff like it's death. Everything, I think, in this match is, like, just great. Flair goes out fighting, at least for a couple of years. But uh, I thought this was the perfect send-off, honestly. Oh, I would agree. And you're talking about the storytelling. Like, one of the spots that jumps out to me is you talk about it. Goes for the sweet chin music, and he hesitates. Like when in the beginning, before he wanted to even take the match, he said it didn't want to be him. 
but he, reluct- he was reluctant, decided to take it, and both gave it his all. And you're talking about the send-off, class sack by uh, HBK to, even though he's the one who won, gets out of the ring as soon as he can, so Rick Flair could have his moment. Pants to everyone there who's probably crying and his family who's definitely crying. And you see Charlotte Flair again. It was it was great. No, I'm I I, I uh after after the match we talk about that Michaels has a moment with Flair in the ring walks away. Flair gives HBK his moment. Not Flair gives HBK, but HBK gives Flair his moment. He embraces his family, and uh, uh, you look at this. You look at HBK's track record at WrestleMania. It is freaking insane. There is a reason why he's called Mister WrestleMania, and this 100%. is the reason why. So for Pro Wrestling Illustrated's match of the year, HBK won seven straight PWI matches of the year, match of the year awards from 2004 all the way to 2010. Sheesh. Yeah. Well earned. Yeah, it is. It's ridiculous. HBK. And then he's also won 11, uh, match of the year awards total and and the, and yeah and i think he won four straight in like the 90s so he it's literally he is mr wrestlemania and i don't think anyone's honestly gonna ever take that title away from him because it's gonna be very hard to do that when with his kind of track record he had at that show See, i can't i can't think of anyone now who's coming even close no one will ever do it. I don't think anyone's capable. I don't know if anyone's capable of doing it really because from an in-ring standpoint, Michaels, Michaels is the best. Michaels is the best. Not, I don't know if I'd say the best, but he is arguably, arguably it could be an argument placed for him being the best in-ring worker ever period because he, he has everything down. He's got the charisma. He's got everything. He's got the whole pack. Michael's had the whole package, but I, he killed it here. I'm going to give this rest, this match, uh, HBK flair. I'm gonna give it an a plus. Honestly, I, I couldn't go. I couldn't say enough about it. it. Good enough. Good things about it. It's just great. You gotta have, you have to go out of your way to watch this. Honestly. See, I gave an a plus too. It's it's just a must watch if you're a wrestling fan. Everything is great about it. And yeah, definitely if you're going to watch WrestleMania 24 back, this is the one match, one of the two matches on one of the two matches that I think you should go back and watch. But uh we head back to Grisham backstage in the back with Edge. Edge cuts a really good promo here. He talks about we just saw history, more history will be made tonight. He sets the stage talking about sitting in the audience at WrestleMania six, where his childhood hero Hulk Hogan is taking on the ultimate warrior and Hogan lost that night. And that, and he also lost his innocence on that night. And he says it really came full circle and people rely on undertaker winning at mania every year. And tonight fans get slapped in the face with a cold, hard dose of reality. He's going to pluck away another child's innocence tonight this is peak edge for sure a hundred percent that was a that was a great promo perfect perfect edge promo the villain like that's such a villainous thing to say you're gonna take a child's innocence away like what 
what kind of person wants to do that? Yeah, he's like total Edge. douche. He's a total douche at this point. Edge is the person who wants to do that. But Edge, yeah, that was a great promo there. They follow it up with the Playboy Bunny Mania Lumberjill match. Beth Phoenix and Molina, accompanied by Santino Morella, taking on the Playboy cover girls, Ashley and Maria. Ashley was the Playboy cover girl back in 2007. Maria was the cover girl back in 2008. Snoop Dogg is the master of ceremonies. He rolls out in a Mercedes-Benz golf cart with lumberjills and tow. Yeah, it was. I'll give him credit. And I got to talk about this WrestleMania stage for a moment. This is one of the best WrestleMania stages I've seen. I I would think so, too. Um, I think 30s is probably still my favorite. But this was a good one. It was huge, too. Like, how tall it was. It was was insane how tall it was. But uh, these uh, girls in this match, uh, women, uh, get about 5 minutes and 56 seconds. This is kind of... This is pretty sloppy for the uh, for the most part. Uh, closing sequence. Um, there's a crossbody off the middle rope by Maria. Beth counters a punch, goes for the glam slam. I don't think he was even called the glam slam at the time. It's a very slow counter into a bulldog that gets a near fall. Beth spears Molina off the apron, crossbody off the apron to Molina by Ashley. Then a top rope dive into a bulldog by Maria. Maria goes for the cover. Santino pulls Maria's leg out. And then Lawler, he's done. He's had it with Santino. So he goes out and punches Santino in the face. Maria, that distracts Maria. Beth hits uh, Maria from behind, then hits a fisherman's buster to win the match for Phoenix and Molina at five minutes and 56 seconds. This was kind of like a bathroom break match, as people would call it typically. Right. A nice nice little palate cleanser because, you know, after the Flair and Michaels match, the you know, crowd's exhausted. Like, yeah, crowd's exhausted. Got to like give them a moment to breathe, or like you said, go to the bathroom because they probably didn't want to during that match. Yeah, they well, they're like yeah, because they went like twenty or so minutes during the Flair, <laughs> the Flair uh, Michaels match. But I yeah, I thought this was kind of a hot mess. But uh, I I didn't stay over. It didn't overstay its welcome. I was gonna give it a a D grade. Yeah, I give it a C minus. We're not too far off on that, but uh, right. Santino post-match days in the ring, taunting Maria. Then Snoop clothesline Santino. Snoop gave a good clothesline there, I thought. And then he did. He, he did. Uh, Snoop then helps Maria up, and they kiss, which is incredibly weird. I didn't think it was necessary at all. It was kind of. It just felt kind of weird. <laughs> I didn't know at the time, but. I forgot Santino used to be a heel. But the only Santino I remember was the funny one with the Cobra. And I actually really liked the Lawler bit because um, I it was fun to see him come out. Like you could hear hearing him on the mic. He's like, I'm getting tired of this. Watch, like, watch this, JR. And the camera just pans over and you see him and just walks over and clocks Santino. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a pretty good spot. It was the most interesting part of that. Yeah, I think that's when and the also, crowd got, that's when the crowd got most excited. Yeah, it was uh, just a random thing about it is that I forgot one. I forgot that match was on the card, but I forgot there was a power outage. During yeah, that I was going to mention that. It was weird. That was probably the most because they ended up having to turn like some special light on to get the right? ma- get to match up. 
I don't know, back, not back on the air, but some light back into the ring. It was just kind of weird right. there, but. um, I had to uh, double check with it because from what I saw, none of the, uh, I guess there were some divas at the time, uh, didn't really react to it. They just kept wrestling. So I was like, was this supposed to happen? And I really liked Lawler's comment because the commentary team played it off really well. They were joking like, is the Undertaker coming? Like, what's going on? <laughs> Imagine yeah, that. Imagine yeah. the Undertaker coming out during the match. Like, all right. <laughs> Enough of this. Yeah, it's double choke slam. Boom. <laughs> Delivering tombstones. Oh, my gosh. Imagine that. That would have been hilarious. And that changed my grade from a C- minus to like a, at least a B+. Plus I, give it, I, I give it an A++. Because <laughs> I'd be sports entertained as a Mr. Simon Miller on what culture would call it. But... <laughs> But uh, triple, yeah, triple A, triple not triple H, but it is a triple threat match coming up next for the WWE Championship. John Cena, Triple H, and Randy Orton. So story, little story going into this. Triple H misses last year's WrestleMania with a blown out quad. Cena, I think, if I remember correct, tore his pec in October or September, October. Orton gets awarded the title back then. And then Cena comes back in the Rumble, like the most shocking return in a Rumble I think I've ever seen. He wins right. it, with the, which was one of the best surprise entries you'll ever see in the Royal Rumble. Triple H wins. Great. The- I was gonna say just a great pop when Cena returned. It's something but, I watch, I rewatch on occasion every now and then because it's just so amazing. But the funny thing is about that when you watch that back though, Cena gets a pop initially. They're like, oh yeah, Cena's back, and they're wait like they're like, wait a minute, we're not supposed to like this guy. We hate this guy, and then he gets booed when he wins the Royal Rumble, which is kind of weird. But Triple H wins the Chamber, so it makes it a triple threat because I think John Cena did a uh, he decided to use his opportunity at No Way Out against Orton for the WWE Championship it ends in a DQ, and then we get triple the triple threat at Mania. Orton, like I said, wins a title at No Mercy in October. Triple H wins it from him that night, defends it against Umaga, then loses it to Orton in the main event in a last man standing match. So Orton has had a pretty long reign at this point. So all, October all the way to April. And, th- and this Orton's not even in his 30s yet. He's in his later 20s at this point. And he is right. he looks killing so, it. He looks so young <laughs> watching that match back. It's just, it's insane. And then only, he's only one at one of these three that are really active anymore. But oh yeah, out of the three, yeah, Orton's in an interesting storyline with Bray Wyatt right now. But uh, we get the marching band playing Cena in, which is uh, pretty dope, I think. Uh, Cena mm-hmm. does the hang loose taunt there instead of the uh, kind of the AOK uh, signal, uh, AO, AOK uh, taunt. They started using, I think, about a year and a half or so later. But we also get the mobile vote results. You remember this kind of stuff? I had the exact same thought. Like, man, hearing Jr. Uh, talk about uh, Texas numbers, the uh, message and data rates may apply. Man, that was funny to hear because these day, you don't see that at all anymore. Of course, with social media, it's they're going to post it on Twitter or something, and you can just do it from there. So. It was yeah. definitely funny to see something like that again. It's so it's just so weird seeing that. And you look at the poll, the final results of the poll, it's pretty 
pretty lopsided. Cena wins with a 52% vote. Triple H, second and 40, 40%. But Randy Orton gets 8%, 8% vote here, which is absolutely hilarious. But Orton, he comes out. He still has his Burning In My Light theme song, which he absolutely hated. He's he's admitted he's he absolutely hated that song. I love the song. I like hit the one he uses now better, I'll admit, but it wasn't a bad one. I don't know why he would straight up hate it, but I like the one he uses now. I just think he was like, he didn't like the, hey, nothing you can say. He just hate, I don't think he, it was kind of an annoying chorus to some people. I, I didn't think it was, but, but uh, we get the triple threat match with Orton, Triple H, and Cena, and... I thought this was a pretty fun match. I thought it was pretty fun. It's kind of it sticks to the formula of uh, triple threat matches where it's mainly just two people fighting while one's outside of the ring. Did you notice yep. that as well? Oh, I definitely did. Like even starting off, uh, Orton immediately grabs a belt, hits Triple H with it, puts him out of commission for a few minutes so Orton and Cena can go at it, and then they usually just take turns of who's the one who's out of the ring and who the two that are in the ring. Yeah, um, but it definitely was a victim of that. Yeah, I thought that was too. It was just kind of the simple, simple typical triple threat uh, fodder. Uh, Orton hits an RKO on Triple H at one time, but before that, actually, Orton was going for the RKO. Cena countered it. I thought this one, this was a really cool counter where Cena drops Orton on Triple H with an elbow. Right. I thought that was one of the cooler. I've I was like I've never seen that counter until now, but like I haven't seen that counter since then. That that's the only time I've ever seen that counter. And not a lot of people were even able to counter the RKO, so it was definitely uh, nice to see. But uh, yeah, Triple H eventually hits an RKO. Cena locks and the STFU on Orton. I'm going to call it the STFU. I don't I'm not going to call it the STF. I'm going <laughs> by the original names because I like right. the original names a lot better than the names they use now for them, but Triple H gets Cena's hand to the gets Orton's hand to the rope. Triple H breaks it. And we see an Indian deathlock in this match, which we never see. Cena ends up breaking it though, whips Triple H out of the ring. Another STFU by Cena. I like this this kind of portion of the match where C Cena gets in the STFU, but Triple H breaks, then locks in a crossface. Crossface, yeah, I like that too. It looked it looked cool. Uh, my favorite moments were like when the three, I guess the exact opposite of what a triple threat uh, formula is, is when like all three were involved. And I guess you could technically say Orton was involved in that, even though he was just like on the ground after getting after getting out of the STFU. But no, that was definitely one of my favorite moments of that too. And I also like the double draping DDT spot they did, the double hanging yes. DDT by Orton. I like that spot as well. Uh, after that STFU, vintage Orton, vintage Orton. Orton, vintage, very vintage Randy Orton, but. Uh, <laughs> Cena eventually gets the, the rope on the cross face. Cena and Triple H trade rights. Triple H gets the better of it. Shoulder block, clothesline, patented uh, uh, slam as a patented like a suplex, spin around suplex move. And then the five knuckle shuffle. Then Cena goes for the FU. Triple H counter pedigree attempt. That counter. Triple H countered STFU attempt. Then Triple H hits the face buster. Hits the old, good old double A spine buster. 
Uh, Chop blocks Orton on the apron. Cena then goes for the FU. Triple H hits the pedigree. Orton recovers. Punts Triple H as a, Triple H is covering Cena, which I, lo- I love the finish of that. I love the finish of Triple H hitting the pedigree, going for the cover, and then Orton comes running in and freaking punts Triple H's head off. And Orton ends up retaining at 14 minutes and uh, nine seconds. Do you like the finish? I did like the finish. The punt's probably one of my favorite moves. Um, so simple. Uh, they protect the hell out of it. Even to this day, they do. Um, but I really did like the finish. Kind of like it came out of nowhere. Like you almost believe that Triple, uh, Triple H, H just, yeah, he just did enough to keep Orton out of the ring. And of course, he hits the pedigree. So, oh, Triple H is going to win. But then out of nowhere, just strikes with the punt and then gets the dub. Pretty much steals it. He pretty much steals yep. it there. And uh, I thought this was, we. I said this was formulaic, but I thought this was a pretty good triple threat. And uh, they had some cool sequences, the DDT, the STFU, and Crossface. And I love the absolutely love the finish, which I think it earns a higher grade for me at this point. I was going to give it a B plus. I gave mine an A. You gave it an A? Thought it was pretty good. Yeah, one of the spots you didn't mention was, um, I think it was John Cena on top of Triple H, but then Orton with the crossbody. Yep, I like that spot as well. Again, just the moments that – I mean, it's a triple threat. Get everyone. There's three people in the ring. Let's get them all involved uh, on occasion. And that was another one. All three were involved and made for a nice spot. And then we get the Floyd Mayweather versus Big Show. No DQ match. And uh, Big Show, he had been gone for about a year or so. And he attacked Rey Mysterio at No Way Out after his World Heavyweight title match against Edge. And Mayweather then shows up. Big Show, it's, this is in Vegas. Big Show shows up, is on one knee, and Mayweather then breaks his nose, which pretty much is the story heading into this. And then we get, then what I didn't realize watching this back, so we, you see Mayweather's crew coming in, but do you notice this man? Future Nexus member, Michael Tarver. He's one of the bodyguards for, for Mayweather. He's got... He had the black sweatshirt on with the blue lettering. That was Michael Tarver. Oh, I definitely remember who uh, watching seeing that uh, during the match, but I didn't know that was him. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I was like, I was sitting there watching it back. And I, I realized I watched it. And I'm like, I wreck. I think that's Tarver. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it is. I can't believe it. But we watch. We look at this match. We watch it back. Big Show does a pretty good – I think Mayweather, in all honesty, does a really good job for his limitations in this. He does a fantastic oh, job. I would agree. Amazing job. One thing that jumped out to me was he was able to sell. He sold a lot of Big Show's offense really, really well. And I thought, like, it looked good. It looked like he's been uh, – not – you know, he wasn't, like, a pro at it by any means, but he looked really good. Like, it was believable. Yeah, he – I thought – that's what I noticed as well. I thought I was like – Wow, Mayweather did really good in this. And the one thing I'll take away later in the match, he he did yet Big Show was working the left hand during the match. Mayweather at the end of the match completely ignored that. <laughs> you notice that. But Big Show was the face in this match and Mayweather was the heel. I was kind of I was like you watch this match back and you're kind of confused. It's who's the face, who's the heel? Well, when I first noticed, first thing I noticed was as soon as Mayweather came out, 
I could I could barely hear Lillian Garcia announcing him because he had so much heat as soon as he stepped out onto the ramp. Mm-hmm. So a chorus of boos. Like I could I could barely hear Lillian Garcia. So I was like, okay, I guess Big Show's the face in this one, at least yeah. to the fan. Hell yeah, it was weird seeing that because Big Show beat up Rey Mysterio, who's the proto, who's the super baby face at No Way Out, which made no sense to me at all. Yeah, I mean. The fans, I mean, there's a lot of the times when WWE tells who the good guy, who the bad guy is, but ultimately I think the fans are able to decide who they see as who, and I think they really chose Big – I guess they chose Big Show. Well, the crowd was, I don't going, think cr- the crowd was the, going fav- like crazy for Big Show. Right, yeah. I'd say they booed the hell out of Mayweather, but Big Show, he got a pretty good uh, – Ovation. I guess it was more of since Big Show is from their world, like WWE Universe, like the fans, so they were going to boo the outsider, of course. And, yeah, well, we uh, watched this match. Mayweather's guys get involved multiple times. Mayweather at one point is drinking out of a dang chalice, and Big Show is Big Show laid some of these dudes out. Like, laid mm-hmm. these dudes out completely. But eventually, Mayweather gets yanked out of the ring. Uh, and the manager's like, for, for Mayweather's like, we out. We are gone. So Big Show chases him down and then walks Mayweather back towards the ring, clubs the back of Mayweather, back in the ring. Uh, they're back in the ring. Big Show knocks one of, out one of Mayweather's bodyguards. This is when he started using the KO punch. And then the chair shot to the back of Big Show. He doesn't like that. Choke slam to that guy. Then a chair shot to the chest in the back of Big Show by Mayweather. He goes for the head. Show counters. He goes for the choke slam, but a big low blow from Mayweather. Then we get the unprotected chair shots we talked about earlier. The three unprotected chair shots to Big Show's head, which is just weird seeing that now. But uh, after that, yeah, it's a much different time. Mayweather gets the brass knucks and then knocks Big Show out. Scott Armstrong does the 10 count for boxing. And Big Show, he's unable to beat the 10 count. And Big Show is the winner at 11 minutes and not Big Show, but Mayweather is the winner at 11 minutes and 36 seconds. Mayweather's limitations in this match, we already knew about him. He's a boxer, but uh, yes. but he did a fantastic job knowing his limitations. I His selling for the match was great up until later on when he didn't sell the left hand that was injured. But for the most part, he did a wonderful job. I'm going to give this match a B. What are your thoughts? Uh, I also gave it a B. Um, and I the finish I thought was good. It was believable. Because um, I don't think if, if they set it up where he got just a clean hit without the brass knuckles, I don't think I would have believed it that, yeah, he's a professional boxer, pound for pound, world's best. But still like 5'8", 150 pounds. I don't think even with his punching power at that time, he'd knock out something like Big Show. So I think the addition of the brass knuckles was a really good finish. Yeah, I thought so as well. And uh, after that, we get the Mania commercial where Batista steals this man's girl that he proposed to. Uh, Then we get Justin Roberts introducing Kim Kardashian. Then Kardashian announces the attendance, 74,635. That's always disputed. And, uh, then we get our big main event. So Edge 
versus The Undertaker. Edge defending his World Heavyweight Championship against Taker. This is the marketing for this match is Undertaker's 15-0 versus Edge's 5-0, even though he does technically have a loss at WrestleMania. They just don't acknowledge it. But Edge, back in 2007, cashing the money in the bank where he that he won from Ken Kennedy. He cashed in on Taker after a post-match attack by Mark Henry. And then later on, Edge at Survivor Series, Edge cost Undertaker inside Hell in a Cell, posing as a cameraman. He ends up winning the triple threat, win the title in the triple threat at Armageddon. And then Edge has held it ever since. So he's held it for about uh, three months, a little over three months at this point. We see Undertaker tombstoning Vicky, putting her in her wheelchair. And looking back at this storyline, this is this is a great buildup to the WrestleMania main event. Yeah, this was this is my favorite match on the card, and that coming from probably my favorite feud of that year, it was it was great. Like I almost forgot that Edge and Vicky were a thing, and that played like that relationship was a lot like involved a lot heavily into that feud. Yeah, and it was. So it was, it was it was a main thing. It was the main story, main like pairing on SmackDown was Vicky and Edge. You saw them all the time on SmackDown back in 2007 and 2008. This rivalry didn't even stop at WrestleMania. This rivalry went all the way through SummerSlam of this uh, SummerSlam in 2008. But we uh, get to the match and yeah, it was a it was a long one, but a good one. It was, yeah, 24, they go 24 minutes. They go over 24 minutes approximately, actually about 24 minutes approximately. But really, this match has almost everything you want. Similar to the HBK uh, flare match earlier on in the night. But uh, the storytelling in this is just wonderful because they have so many different callbacks to different things that happened in the past with them. One of them being the camera spot where Edge hits him with the camera. The other being Hawkins and Ryder getting involved because that's how Edge kind of initially won the title at Armageddon that year. There was a lot of different story arcs that worked into it. The drama buildup towards the end of the match was just freaking fantastic because Edge seemed to have a counter for everything Undertaker did. Every move, almost every move. It was that's one of the that was one cool storytelling bit they had for this was Edge literally was countering everything. He seemed to have Undertaker's number throughout this match because old school gets countered multiple times, choke slam gets countered multiple times, the last ride gets countered uh, at one point. But then we get Taker finally hitting a last ride later in the match. Edge kicks out at the last second, then we get the throat slash. Goes for the tombstone, edge counters, edge-o-matic for a near fall. Irish whip counter by Taker into a big boot. Finally hits old school. Uh, edge hits a DDT, reverse DDT, after taking out the official. After Ed Taker accidentally takes out the official. And Taker goozles him as Edge is talking trash. Low blow by Edge. We get the camera, camera shot that's shades of the Survivor Series from that year. Then Edge blasts him in the head with it. The official does, then does fall out of the ring. Taker sits up. Edge with the throat slash. Edge goes for the tombstone. Taker counters into the tombstone. He covers, but there's no official. We get the most epic sprint up the ramp in WrestleMania epic. history. 
It is the greatest sprint up the ramp in WrestleMania history because Charles Robinson is on his freaking horse getting to that ring. And that ramp is probably 80 yards or so long, but he is on his horse. He gets in the ring one, two, the literal last possible second edge kicks out. And uh, then edge. Yeah. After edge kicks out Hawkins and Ryder show up, Taker choke slams them onto one another, which I thought that was a pretty cool spot. Taker then turns around into a spear off the distraction and Edge can't believe that Taker kicks out. Then Edge hits a second spear, but he makes the mistake. He doesn't cover immediately, which gives Undertaker the opening to lock in Hell's Gate. Edge can't get to the ropes. He gets about a foot or two away from him, but he has no choice but to tap at 23 minutes and 50 seconds. And Taker is your new world heavyweight champion. And honestly, the storytelling and the callbacks, everything in this match was just great. And Edge did a great did great work on the back of Undertaker throughout this as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, and you talked about it. My favorite moment was seeing Charles Robinson's a sprint down that ramp. It was so epic to see that. Um, and I, I think Edge, yeah, Edge played uh, really well like it made him seem almost invincible like it was almost guaranteed not guaranteed but he had probably had the best chance of ending the streak because no one was countering taker like that like almost every major move that taker tried to do edge had a had a counter for it and i've never seen that before mm-hmm. and i just I, I was like this this match as this match as well as the flair michaels match but i think this match more so than the flair michaels match because that gets a lot of love because it's flair's retirement match in air quotes but this match doesn't get talked about enough this is an underrated wrestlemania match i'm with you there 100 there's i mean i don't think there's any perfect wrestlemanias um but this one definitely needs to be talked about as one of the better ones. Yeah, I'm going to give the mat the great uh, the match a, an A grade. I everything it was just short of perfect, but it was dang near perfect in my opinion. Yeah, uh, I gave it an A plus. I don't know how much my bias played into that. I said it's my favorite match at the time. Taker was my favorite wrestler, uh, favorite feud. So yeah, A plus. Yeah, and Edge at this point, 06 through 08, was the, his best hit. That, that was his prime. That was the best Edge we'd ever seen. Right. And Especially, talking about prime, it was just good to see Taker like that again. Like yeah, being yeah. able to wrestle, you know? Mm-hmm. Because we didn't, like the last few years, we didn't get to really see that all that much. We got no. to see kind of a broken down Taker. And it was kind of sad. It was really sad to see because it kind of took away a little bit from the aura that Taker built up up until that point. Because it really, all of it, it all went downhill after WrestleMania 29. He had that match against Punk. And then afterwards, it just went, after the match with Lesnar, just went way down. Because he, he just was in the shell of himself after that match. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Looking back at this WrestleMania, I think this doesn't get talked about enough. This WrestleMania is definitely an underrated one. Uh, oh, I'm going to give – I don't know if you have an overall grade for this WrestleMania, but I'm going to give it a, a B plus. 
There's only one unwatchable match in that, and that's the kind of the Playboy match. Batista and Umaga, I thought, could have used a little bit more time. Uh, Kane and Chavo, I didn't really mind it all that much. And But everything else on this show was really good to great. Taker and Edge and HBK Flair, both matches are that, that, that I highly recommend to go out and watch. Yep, 100%. As I say, I, I would probably give it uh, averaging it out probably a B plus A. Yeah, the highs are really high, not too many lows. And yeah, it, this is probably one of the better WrestleManias, I think, in the last what decade and a half. Because I, I I've watched most. I don't know if I've watched most of them, but I've watched, from what I've gathered, none of the WrestleManias have been like blow away WrestleManias since what WrestleMania maybe uh, nineteen. 23 was 23 was pretty good before that. Yeah, I like 23. Uh I don't know within the range you said I'd say probably yeah 23 24. After that yeah, kind of, After so that yeah, it kind of goes down. Mm-hmm. But, but 28 was good as well. I for, I for, yeah, forget about forget about that one too. 28's really good. But we'll get to that at a at another point, but uh, hope you all enjoyed this uh, review of WrestleMania 24. Um, coming up next week will be the review of WrestleMania number one. Really looking forward to that uh, coming up next week. It's it, I've, I've never watched WrestleMania one. Have you, J.O.? Never. So it'll be interesting to watch because it's a lot different then than it was uh, than it is now. But uh, make sure to tune in when that drops next week. Hopefully, we'll have it up by next Friday. We'll keep you updated on that on the social media. Uh, Twitter, my Twitter is SigDaddyWrestle and Instagram at SigDaddy.Wrestle as well. Facebook, I have a Facebook. It's SigDaddyWrestle on Facebook. Jeremy, where can people follow you at? Uh, Same Twitter, Instagram handle at Jeremy Ordas. At ORDS. All right. Uh, that's really all I have. But that's really all you have? Hey, that's all good. I, I'm glad you could uh, come on here and uh, talk about WrestleMania 24. We'll to make this a regular thing. We're going to do this every week now, hopefully. Uh, might have a special guest coming up here uh, soon, a special guest review. We'll be, I'll be teaming up with uh, another podcast on uh, the podcast, but that's coming up in the future. Coming up next week, WrestleMania one review with me, Sig Daddy, Skylar, Sig Daddy, Sigmund, and Jeremy Ordas. If you want to hear other episodes of the podcast, make sure to check it out on Podbean, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, Apple podcast, or wherever you get your podcast and you, wherever you listen to them. But until next time, This is Sig Daddy signing off. Skylar Sig Daddy Sigmund, that is. And Jeremy, we're saying so long, everybody. See ya.